thank you for downloading the Friday Night Comedy Podcast from Radio 4. To find out more, visit bbc.co.uk slash radio4. But not until you've enjoyed this week's news quiz. We present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Toxvig. the news quiz we start with an event listed in the national trust newsletter read by charlotte green bumblebee workshop join dr nick owens for the workshop which covers the identification and classification of bumblebees not suitable for dogs (laughs) and our thanks to joyce hopwood of norwich for sending that in now let's meet the teams will you welcome first on my right jeremy hardy and andy hamilton And opposite them on my left, Kevin Day and Phil Hammond. Right, Andy, which MP has been wired for sound? Yeah, this is Sadiq Khan. The police have been caught bugging an MP. To be honest, they're probably bugging all the MPs, if only to find out how much they're paying all their relatives. But um, (laughs) it's caused quite a furore. And David Davis, the Tory shadow Home Secretary said that he wrote to Number 10 Downing Street, warning them that there'd been an infringement of Sadiq Khan's rights. Uh, Number 10 Downing Street responded by saying, we haven't received the letter, we don't know what you're talking about. David Davis then called Gordon Brown a liar in the House, which you're not supposed to do. You're not allowed to call the Prime Minister a liar because then you're in breach of the Official Secrets Act. Um, (laughs) This is being recorded by Sinister Forces. I know. We're trusting you. Nothing we say goes beyond this room. (laughs) I was surprised by this Wilson Doctrine thing. The Ah, Wilson Doctrine sounds really important, doesn't it? It sounds like something to do with the territorial integrity of the Baltic states or something. And it's just that you can't tap phones. But it didn't even cover this, did it? No. No. It turns out it's not Harold Wilson anyway, it's Sergeant Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that's wise, sir? And also, it doesn't cover, apparently it doesn't cover it because they said we didn't bug the telephones, we bugged the table. Uh-huh. The Wilson Doctrine only covers telephones. Uh-huh. And this is worrying my dad, because my dad is a campaign worker in Tooting for Sadiq Khan, and he's really worried that his mobile phone conversations with Sadiq Khan may have been monitored, which I hope they have, just so there's somebody in a van somewhere listening to a conversation that starts with, is this mobile working, Sadiq? <laughs> and Sadiq saying, I can't do anything about the price of apples in Tooting Market. <laughs> You'd think he'd be pleased, wouldn't you? Any MP would be pleased that anyone's listening to them. I would have thought. <laughs> they can't really have imagined that they were going to get really juicy information, though. I mean, he's an intelligent man, he's a lawyer, he's a member of parliament, and he's going to see somebody who suspects of terrorism in prison. Did the listening people really think that he was going to say, so how's, how's the terrorism going in? Oh, not so bad, not so bad. How's a wife? I mean, it's not really going to happen, is it? You know, they're proposing allowing wiretap evidence in court now, and I was reading um, one of the problems with it is that in order that the defence lawyers can't shoot it all down by saying, oh, you've taken it out of context, they'll have to transcribe the whole phone conversation. So obviously this is a bit of advice to terrorists Actually, I'm probably not supposed to give advice to Terry. <laughs> There's probably a law against that. But obviously the thing to do is for 10 days to have a fantastically banal conversation you know, about, oh, dishwasher's playing, oh, you got a man in, just keep it at that level. And then just at the sign-off, go, oh, well, I'll see you next week. Oh, by the way, we're attacking the House of Commons on Tuesday. <laughs> 
isn't there still some uh, uncertainty about who's the bugger and who's the buggy, if you see what I mean? We don't... Uh, well, see, no. Bugger yes. the buggy, it sounds like a song by Julio Iglesias, doesn't it? Bugger the buggy. <laughs> but he don't know whether it was the MP they were bugging, particularly or his old school friend who's been locked up for four years with no charge. For anyone from New Labour to claim that they're affronted by being bugged when that administration has introduced the largest surveillance culture we've ever had, I think yeah. well, the words be... pot, kettle and black spring to mind. Yeah. It could be <laughs> Ikea doing the bugging to see how the table's handled. Yeah. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> Four, four years, it's still together. That's a good table. <laughs> Gordon Brown and Jack Straw face increased criticism over allegations that the MP for Tooting Sadiq Khan was bugged when visiting a constituent, Baba Ahmed, in prison. By bugging Mr Khan's conversation in broad daylight, the police have violated Harold Wilson's doctrine of 1966, which bans surveillance of MPs, as well as the Wilson Pickett doctrine of 1965, <laughs> which obliges them to wait till the midnight hour. <laughs> So two points to Andy. Jeremy, what super day out turned into a damp squib? Super Tuesday. Yeah. Is it a day of the week? Yeah. Um, John McCain is going to be the next president of the United States. No, he will. I don't know. I'm just... Look, I'm Hang not on, saying it's a good thing. <laughs> he is. It's provided he can reach out to Southern Conservatives. Somehow he has alienated Southern Conservatives because he's an abolitionist or something. And... Um, <laughs> He's, um, he's not tough enough on immigration, apparently. I think America is ready for its first Native American president. Then we'll hear some interesting words about immigration. <laughs> but he's probably going to win because the Democrats will stupidly choose Hillary. And people don't like Hillary because she's not likeable, because you just think, oh, you've had eight years. It's not your home anymore. <laughs> Let go, you know. Hillary's got to be president so she can have the secret service on her husband's tail day and night. <laughs> and, um, because, but the thing is, you think, you know, he's not going to say anything radical. There isn't going to be un- an unveiling of some wonderful new radical programme for America. Because I think the question is not, is America ready for its first black president? But is America ready for the assassination of its first black president? <laughs> and I think the question... Well, I think we know what happens to anyone decent in America who comes up with any decent ideas, don't we? He hasn't got any decent ideas. Well, exactly. That's why he's keeping his mouth shut, isn't he? He's not going to say anything. He's not going to say, oh, National Health Service. I mean, it'd be, you know, it'd be a grassy knoll. Those of you in the audience, by the way, who genuinely think that most of America is ready for a black president, I'd like to speak to you afterwards because I've got some shares in Northern Rock I'm trying to offload. <laughs> <laughs> He came out with, I'm worried by these cryptic, bizarre things he says when he's whipping up a frenzy. This week he said, we are the people that we have been waiting for. (laughs) Do they get cross with themselves for keeping themselves waiting? Or where are we? Oh, oh, here we are. That's right. I think it was McCain who said, I'm going to put the needs of America first. Well, to argue the opposite would be ludicrous. When he was like, I'm going to put the needs of Armenia first, he just sounded bloody stupid. So... The thing that terrifies me about McCain, though, is his age. I mean, I do worry if America elects a president whose campaign slogan is, now why did I come in here? (laughs) (laughs) But also, the curious thing about John McCain, that they're worried that he's not Republican enough. Mm. You think, what does that mean? He's never shot a friend while hunting. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's that thing, isn't it? Because in this country, if somebody says someone's a liberal, we go, oh, bless. But... (laughs) But in America, liberal sort of means saboteur. And the campaign that Romney was running, I don't know if you saw the ads for it, and the strap line was, John McCain, surprisingly liberal. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, that sounds like a really nice sort of Marks and Spencer's dessert or yeah. something. Doesn't it? <laughs> this isn't an ordinary Republican. <laughs> Surprisingly liberal. That's, that's the worrying thing while all this is going on. And everyone's taking their eye off George Bush, and George Bush is quietly getting on with the last six months by going completely mad. He's turned into a Bond villain. And this is absolutely true. And the bizarre thing about George Bush is you have to preface everything you say about him with the words, this is absolutely true. <laughs> but he's been talking about the death penalty this week, but he's decided that in lieu of getting rid of the death penalty, they are going to make, and this is absolutely true, they're going to make last meals healthier. <laughs> And you research this, and you find that six hours before they're killed, and Dr. Phil will be interested in this, six hours before they're killed, they get a full medical, which is fantastic. Your blood pressure's up. You're not worrying about anything. Are you? <laughs> Two points to Jeremy. So-called Super Tuesday turned soggy this week with neither Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama being able to claim the Democratic nomination. In fact, Hillary and Barack are neck and neck. Well, they would be if Hillary had a neck. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's very funny. <laughs> No, you carry on, Sandy, that's fine. <laughs> Just don't expect any contribution from me. <laughs> Just trying to imagine Albert Pierpoint, the last hangman, looking at you going, oh, Lord. <laughs> now, Phil, we couldn't have you here without getting a quick update on the state of our beloved NHS, so I'd like you to complete the joke. Doctor, doctor, I feel like giving British medical graduates a chance. Yes, the big story is that any doctor who qualified outside Europe is being banned from mm. taking up consultant grade posts in this country. Bad news for the NHS, about half our doctors trained overseas and about a quarter of our nurses, the NHS isn't quintessentially British at all. It's relied on sort of slave labour from people overseas who've worked in those horrible areas that middle-class British graduates don't want to work in. But now we're training 6,000 doctors a year and only 3,000 are retiring. So there's a bit of a number problem of doing something with our British graduates. So we're, uh, we're kicking the ones out from outside Europe. It's sort of a way of trying to force doctors to do jobs that nobody else wants to do. And I don't know whether it's going to work. I think probably they all up sticks and go to Australia or something. And it's a real battle now with, you know, we're Labour, we've been in for 10 years. We're going to introduce competition, we're going to make you work in Tesco's. In fact, they've got a big Tesco's near us with a medical centre, and there's a little aisle with six symptoms or less. That they go <laughs> And the, the, the BMA are saying, oh, this is the end of traditional general practice, we can't have that. Uh, and it, it's a tough call, because doctors are now very expensive, so they sort of price themselves out of the market. And people are saying, well, we're going to have health centre staffed by nurses, doctors too expensive. So doctors, for the first time in the history, are facing mass unemployment, and probably wake up and smell the coffee. Uh, and it should be a tough call for the BNP, this one. Bloody immigrants coming over here, saving our lives, curing our women. <laughs> Doctors from former Commonwealth countries will be barred from the NHS in an attempt to preserve jobs for British medical graduates. Last year, 28,000 medical graduates applied for 15,000 training places, which leaves 13,000 trained doctors saying, do you want fries with that? Um, it all started with that thing that they found out that there were some doctors involved in the Glasgow bombing. And there was a thing on uh, Sky News. It said proof that the bombers were linked to the NHS. I thought... Only Murdoch would put socialised medicine in the axis of evil. So, two points there to Phil. And at the end of round one, the scores are exactly even. Jeremy and Andy have got four, and so have Kevin and Phil. We start round two with a publisher's notice in the Isle of Thanet Gazette. 
To protect our readers, all death announcements on this page must be submitted to us either in writing or in person. They cannot be submitted by telephone, undertakers accepted. Signatures of the people concerned may be required. (laughs) Thanks to Sheila Bransfield for spotting that. Andy, who's got a blind spot when it comes to renewable energy? Sandy, can I take this opportunity to do a plug? Yes, Danny. It's quite a big career opportunity for me, actually. Next week, for three days, I'm appearing as a witness in the Princess Diana inquest. (laughs) The way... I I never actually met her, and I don't know anything about her, but that doesn't disqualify you, apparently. (laughs) You can... um, You are a fantastically gullible audience. Am, am I going to take it that this means you don't know the answer to the question that I first about, asked you, Andy? It's about a blind spot. Who's got a blind spot when it comes to renewable energy? It's about wind farms. Oh, now, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I was very... No, hey, you think I'm worked up about the Princess Diana? No. <laughs> you like the Daily Express, the stories about wind farms, but you mentioned Princess Diana. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, it does the no harm whatsoever. Um, <laughs> now, I'm confused about this, because what the MOD is saying that wind turbines confuse their radar. Now, mm. I don't understand, because I, I know what a wind turbine is, I know the blades go around, but fundamentally, the wind turbine stays in the same place. <laughs> Whereas radar, I thought, tracks moving objects. So unless Putin's boffins have developed a warplane that looks exactly like a wind turbine, <laughs> but moves at fantastically slow speed towards, <laughs> towards its target, I really can't see how they're a problem. This is true. I was speaking to an expert on renewable energy recently uh, in a pub in South London. <laughs> he actually claimed it. He knew this for a fact. He said, you've got to be very careful where you sight all the wind turbines, because if you've got one in all four corners of the country, if they go off at once, we'll take off. <laughs> Surely the planes that were trying to fly low to get under the radar would crash into the wind turbines and they would save us in that way. Using, like, barrage balloons, yeah. yeah. People are always coming up with objections. When wind turbines are in Yorkshire or somewhere, somebody will say, oh, it spoils the view of of this valley or something. And you think, oh, look, see the bigger picture. This is about saving the planet. And they launch a campaign to stop wind turbines. Their slogan is, think locally, act mentally. (laughs) Yes, indeed, the Ministry of Defence. Actually, the man who's raised the objections is Air Chief Marshal Jock Stirrup. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> he on the goons? <laughs> you couldn't make it up, could you? His obituary is in the Telegraph every day. <laughs> <laughs> the Ministry of Defence has objected to plans to build more wind farms because they interfere with radar, making it impossible to spot aircraft. Mind you, if they can't even find their own laptops, how are they going to spot a squadron? <laughs> Of Russian fighters whooping out of the sun. Kevin, whose book club are students booking in to? A-levels, of course, uh, in English literature, apparently far too hard. So various examination boards have been watching Richard and Judy, which is uh, it's nice to see they're up to the same things as their students are doing at four o'clock in the afternoon, and have decided that life would be much easier if they could do sort of books that Richard and Judy discuss. So, for example, the life story of Sharon Osbourne. So in the future you could get three really easy A-levels. You could get one in uh, the life story of Sharon Osbourne, uh, Life on Mars, a second series, and sociology. <laughs> 
I think it's a brilliant idea. You know what? I think they should go further. I think they should let Richard Madeley set the A-level questions. <laughs> I don't know if, if any of you saw the legendary Richard Madeley question to Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton went on Richard and Judy, and this was um, after he bought out his autobiography. Richard said, uh, it's a great book. I mean, I, I, I read it, you know. And the whole Monica Lewinsky business, he said, I mean, I, I identified with it quite closely because I, I, was, I was accused of something, you know, and you write in the book about how it was so important for you that you had the love and support of your family and that that's certainly what got me through, Judy, and it was the love and support that got me through. And I was reading that section of the book and I, I was thinking, how, you know, this is very like sort of what experience I went through. I was, I didn't, except that you did it. <laughs> And the look on Bill Clinton's face. And I abbreviated the question there. It's, it's a lot longer than that. I understand. You'd think the more tactful thing would be to say to experienced teachers if you want to broaden the curriculum and choose books for your kids rather than rely on Richard and Judy. It's really going to pee the... T- Are any teachers in the audience? I'd be really peed off if the examining board said they have to choose from Richard and Judy rather than you. Like, it's a ridiculous thing to do. Central control doesn't work. But they're going to run the health service as well, is what I heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Richard doing heart Judy. surgery. Richard Madeley taught me how to do heart surgery. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> he goes around the houses a bit, but he gets there in the end. <laughs> Liver, spleen, pancreas, all heart. <laughs> if you were as delighted as we were by the McDonald's A-level, you'll be pleased to know that English teachers are being encouraged to take their cue from the Richard and Judy book club and pick more popular books for A-Level, such as Billy Piper's Autobiography, uh, which is surprisingly popular and even more surprisingly classed as a book. (laughs) Do you know, I thought Billy Piper was an oil rig. I had no... (laughs) (laughs) At the end of round two, Jeremy and Andy have got eight points, but so too have Kevin and Phil. Before we start round three, here is an advert from the Wirral Globe. Slimming, yes you can. Slimming World, Mondays at the Royal Oak in Bromborough at 5.30pm and 7pm. Now in a new, larger room. (laughs) Now thanks to Tremaine Cornish for spotting that. Andy, where were tossers tied up in red tape? (laughs) I'm still fretting about that neck thing. (laughs) So I'm going to give you a really short answer. Now, this is a health and safety story, Sandy, that appeared in the Telegraph on its health and safety page. Um, And like all the health and safety stories, when you read the fine print, it isn't just a health and safety story. But the spin that the papers put in it was that a pancake-tossing race in Ripon Mm -hmm. had to be ditched because of health and safety fears. And you, you can see that point. I mean... Frying pans can inflict horrendous injuries. Um, you just have to look at Tom and Jerry. Uh, <laughs> but I think it was as much a problem that they had to close roads. And uh, Also, I suspect people probably sat down and said, shall we do the pancake tossing race? No, it's bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> it's actually... No, we only do it for the tourists, and it's February. Um, Surprisingly, I feel quite sorry for the health and safety executive because they were contacted and they hadn't said anything about no. it at all. We... And it's the, the, the catch-all excuse, isn't it? I'd love to marry you, but health and safety. <laughs> I'd love your mother to move in with us, but sorry, health and safety. Um, I was uh, in casualty once, and this couple came in, and the gentleman's, how shall I put this, his ventral protuberance was hanging by a thread, 
and his lady friend had a burn on the top no. of her head and Kev- bruising Kevin's and lacerations. Kevin's going to need help, don't To the back the of the head. <laughs> yeah, hang on. Is, now, is lady friend a part of the body as well? Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, the gentleman apparently was cooking pancakes while the lady was performing an act of gratification. Um, he was slightly distracted as he tossed the pancake, missed, it landed on her head. She clenched her muscles of mastication. <laughs> and he had to hit her on the back of the head to get her to let go. <laughs> and safety assessment first. <laughs> the officer would have come along, he'd have done a skills audit, uh, and he'd say, what you need there, sir, is a safety net. <laughs> you don't see that in the claims direct adverts, do you? <laughs> That's what you want, isn't it? Do you know, I had rather a wry comment about health and safety, but I don't think I'll bother now. <laughs> Yes, indeed. It's the story of Ripon Cathedral in North Yorkshire, which has had to cancel its annual Pancake Day race because of health and safety concerns. Organisers of the traditional event claimed that excessive red tape had made it difficult to get things off the ground this year. I thought maybe a spatula would have helped, but there we are. Straightforward thing. Uh, So two points to Andy. Jeremy, have a listen to this. Why can you go whistle for ratings? That was lovely. I just went into a little trance then. No, apparently there's a thing called One Word, and it did really, really badly, thank God, because it was a rival to Radio 4, which has been denounced. Radio 4 has been slagged off for being too middle class. How dare they? (laughs) Radio 4 is my demographic. One harsh winter and I'm in serious trouble. (laughs) Um, I I nearly choked on my polenta. I know. (laughs) Dare they? Can I just point out, apropos of that, and I'm slightly paranoid now that I'm upping your working-class demographic, because for the first time, somebody pointed out in the green room, oh, we've got corned beef sandwiches. We've never had those before. <laughs> I suspect they may have been for me. On white bread. On white bread. Anyway, one word talk radio was taken off because no one listened to it. They replaced it with birdsong, and listening figures went right up. Because birdsong's really nice. And not because of digital. You can presumably get it online. In countries where there are no birds. Get it in your garden by sticking your head out. (laughs) Not everybody has an enormous garden in Wimbledon. Some people live in tower blocks and beastly places in the Midlands. the birds are all coming. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a loop, apparently. It's a bird singing. It's a recording made 16 years ago. (laughs) It's like the old old test card, isn't it? The people used to watch the test card on television. I was at school with that girl, Catherine Hersey, or Gillian Hersey. One of the Hersey girls was, yeah, she was the girl in the thing with the balloon and the clown. Did you tease her unmercifully for being on television? No, we were very proud. It's the only other only person that ever came out of our school that made anything of that. I was going to say the other person. (laughs) (laughs) Bit presumptuous, really. Yeah, but she's on telly all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Calling this making something of your life is a bit presumptuous, isn't it? Uh, This is the news that defunct digital radio station One Word. It's not a great name for a talk radio station, is it? (laughs) Just the one word. Space in the Airwaves was replaced by a looped recording of birds singing in a wood. It could be a new trend. We could start by replacing quote-unquote with something less annoying. (laughs) The sound of a dentist's drill. Um, (laughs) Actually, um, I will give a 
point for anybody who can say who it was that thought that Radio 4 is uh, too middle class, because we're running neck and neck at the moment. We're a Jane bit Garvey. Far. It was Jane Garvey. I didn't know you could be too middle class. Oh, yeah. I think it's ridiculous. I was saying this morning to my aromatherapist. I... <laughs> Sandy, you just got a round of applause on the joke about quote-unquote. Of course you can be too middle class. <laughs> I was a bit worried because the controller of Radio 4, Mark Damazer, who's a lovely, lovely man, <laughs> uh, his reply was that uh, Radio 4's listeners are united by a desire for intelligence, clever ideas and wit. And I thought, oh, bloody hell, we're in trouble. Right. <laughs> Kevin, why are the hills alive with the sound of different music, depending if you're in the north or in the south? Yeah, this is... Uh, while some scientists are busy doing scientific things like curing cancer, other scientists are busy listening to the type of music that we like to listen in different parts of the country... In Scotland, I'm informed they prefer happy hardcore, mm. whatever happy hardcore is. Uh, in Bristol, apparently it's trip-hop. And according to my friend from Sheffield, in London, it's chamber quartets made out of kittens. <laughs> <laughs> it did say that the further north you go, the faster it gets. And it's, yeah. it's down to drugs, because in the southwest we have rough cider and mushrooms, and up north they have urn brew and hypothermia. Uh, <laughs> and that keeps them moving, apparently. Apparently Dolly Parton's very popular in Scotland. I thought it must be because the Grampian Mountains are twinned with her, right? <laughs> That's because she recorded that famous Scottish song, Stand By Your Man. Was that an accent, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> Tell you what, you need a lot of neck to do that kind of accent. <laughs> Never going to speak to me again, is he? No, no, it's fine, Sandy. I told you not to bring him in from the rockery. Now... <laughs> Wait, wait a second. I can't believe this. Sandy Toxvik has just done a joke about being small. Someone who, when I first met her, I confused with a player from my Subutio set. I love this show. I feel like a giant on this show. Britain is a nation apparently of divided musical tastes according to a new musical map of the country published by Uncut magazine. Apparently heavy metal is popular in Birmingham. Yeah. Anything to drown out the road noise and the accent. Now... <laughs> I love Birmingham. Now, before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along. Andy. This is from John Kite, and it is from the New York Review of Books. And it says, in an attempt to forestall the Chinese regime from usurping his position, the Dalai Lama announced that he will be reincarnated outside Tibet, guaranteeing that his successor will be born among the Tibetan community in exile. In August this year, the officially atheist Chinese regime passed legislation effectively banning Buddhist monks in Tibet from reincarnating without government permission. Kevin. This has been sent in by Gary Williams. This is from a, an ad mag in Western Supermare, which is it's very long, so I'll paraphrase it. For sale, new hair products. Large can of styling mousse, mega hold. Large can of styling mousse, curl booster. Large pot of gel wax. Can of shockwave shine mousse wax. Large pot fibre putty to mould up messed up effects. Large pot citrus shine take hold styling glue. Change of hairstyle, prompt sale. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Quick uh, Tribute to Miles Kington, who's a good friend of mine, sadly died last week. He came up with many phrases. My favourite one of his was, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit, wisdom is knowing not to put one in a fruit salad. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, you 
much. Let's take a look at the final score. Well, it's exactly like the race for the Democratic nomination. Jeremy and Andy have got 13, but serve Kevin and Phil. It's an equal share. Before we leave you, here's a cutting from the Guardian website sent in by Dave Morris. Send us your eco-tips, and you could win two business-class flights to Dubai. (laughs) And with that, goodbye. Taking part in the news quiz were Jeremy Hardy, Andy Hamilton, Kevin Day and Phil Hammond. In the chair was Sandy Toxville, and the news was read by me, Charlotte Green. The chair's script was written by Simon Littlefield, Lucy Clark and Paul Carenza, with additional material by Matthew Morton. The producer was Ed Morrish. To listen again to any of our comedies on Radio 4, please go to bbc.co.uk slash radio 4 slash comedy.